financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And again, I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Of course, I want to thank our sponsors uh, for the second hour, making this show economically viable. They are American Manganese, Barkerville Gold Mines, Crocodile Gold Corp., Intertopia Corporation, Go West Gold, Smash Minerals, and Trevally Mining Corporation. Well, uh, at the break we were chatting a little bit about uh, some of the concerns that we all have, and one of them is inflation, for sure. Uh, inflation, you know, we keep hearing, you know, and I can, I can sort of remember the 1970s when there was this debate, are we going to have inflation? And the policymakers were saying, no, 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 there's no danger of inflation. Everything is under control. And then you'd have people that were sort of on the fringes and not in the mainstream uh, that were saying, we're going to have some really big, serious inflation problems in real estate and in food prices and everything else. And they were right. I think we have huge inflation problems now that are much worse than what, are, that what, is being, uh, that what we're being led to believe. And if you follow the work of John Williams, who's been a, a guest on this show, Williams uh, outlines how if we were using the same criteria for measuring inflation as was true before Reagan, we'd be looking at double digits or close to it anyway. And it is eating away. That's part of what James was talking about and, and um, uh, Mr. Davidowitz and others on this show about the middle class being hollowed out, the people losing their purchasing power. Not only are they losing their jobs or they're getting paid less, uh, they don't. What they are getting won't go as far because we do have a very serious inflation problem. But uh, Carmen, you had some thoughts on inflation you wanted to raise with James. Would you care to share those with us? Sure, absolutely, Jay. Um, well, I think, in my opinion, that um, this. This inflation is really a, an event uh, uh, that is occurring in a silent and very sinister way because I don't think we're there yet, and and the inflation had not yet been unleashed. At least I don't see it. Uh, simply, this particular inflation I think that we're talking about is more like a hyperinflation. And I think, in my opinion, that it has the ability to cause a similar damage to the, to the Bolshevik damage. Mm. Now, what I know, and think about it, because this is very interesting. Now, when people are burdened with financial hardship in, in a climate of economic crisis and high unemployment, who are they going to look up to for help? Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, they're going to be looking up to the government. Yeah. They're going to want the government to help them. And along with that, we will see, you know, uh, their willingness to give up their freedom. Yeah. Now, 
Now, James, I want to hear your view. I'm very curious. I know uh, you talk a lot about inflation in your book, but maybe you want to share it with our, with our listeners. Yeah, you know, you explained it uh, very clearly when you said that it's uh, sinister and, and hidden and it sort of sneaks up on you. Um, but, you know, inflation is there. We see it in commodity prices going up. We see it everywhere except in the government statistics that says that inflation is not a problem. But the way I like to explain inflation is just to use an example. You know, I remember as a a young kid growing up in the States in the 1950s, my parents could drive the family car into the local gas station and fill up the family car with two silver dollars. Hmm. Now, today, two dollars doesn't even buy you a gallon. But two ounces of silver, two silver dollars, uh, if you take the silver at the face value, it would still fill up the family car. Um, you know, for 180 years, uh, the uh, dollar maintained its purchasing power. Only when we went off the gold standard uh, back in 1971 did the inflation, the creeping uh, uh, expenses, uh, raising in expenses, start really uh, became noticeable. And that's what, uh, when you break the link between gold or break the link to silver, paper currency loses value. And this example of, you know, uh, two silver dollars in 1950, and the content of the silver uh, today still being able to purchase um, um, the uh, gasoline to fill up the family car. That's, uh, you know, I think a good indication of how bad inflation has been. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting that you mentioned that because I took a couple of weeks ago, I took a, a day and I, I started to do some research basically and, and uh, found some charts um, as to the value of gold, the relative to oil for the past 70 years. And I really did not see a huge discrepancy, maybe a ratio of more or less than 15%. Yet adding in, uh, comparing the value of those two to the U.S. dollar in the, 70, uh, in the last 70 years, it was a huge discrepancy, and it showed how our dollar had and how much more we had to spend in, in terms of dollars for the same uh, goods and services. Yeah, you know, uh, over the first 10 years of the, the 2000s, uh, gold uh, was relatively undervalued compared to oil itself. Uh, but that's come a long way over the past couple of years. You know, since the collapse of Lehman Brothers, the relationship has come back into play. But, you know, from year to year or, you know, month to month, you will get fluctuations in gold or silver's purchasing power. But you have to look at it over the long haul um, and measure prices of goods and services in terms of ounces of gold or ounces of silver. And you'll see that by, you know, accumulating gold and accumulating silver, you're actually saving purchasing power. You're saving sound money, and that's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. James, um, uh, I, I know that you're right about the gold gaining value, and silver has too, by the way, since Lehman Brothers, although immediately after Lehman Brothers, we saw the, the price of gold hold up better than silver. Then as the risk trade came back on, the money was pumped into the, into the system. Silver outperformed gold very, very dramatically. Where do you think we're at now in the gold-silver ratio, and do you see silver rising still further against gold in the longer term? Yeah, I do. Uh, right now we're about 42 ounces of silver uh, to equal the value of one ounce of gold. And, you know, historically the norm is around 16 ounces. And as we move forward in this bull market in the precious metals or bear market in the dollar, we'll probably move at least to 20 ounces of silver equal to one ounce of gold, mm. if not lower. So, you know, basically silver is going to outperform. 
but I wanted to make a point about the, the Lehman Brothers that you were sort of alluding to. Mm-hmm. You know, after the Lehman Brothers collapse, we had a liquidity crunch. Right. Uh, you know, everything was sold, including the precious metals, and you actually had a period of deflation. Yeah, with all of the money printing that's going on, and the next financial crisis, and there will be another Lehman Brothers. Uh, you know, whether it's in Europe or the United States, it's hard to say. But this time, instead of a liquidity crunch, you're going to see a rush for safety. So no. my expectation is that the precious metals will go up in the next crisis, uh, not go down temporarily as they did after Lehman Brothers collapsed. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because we've had Bob, Bob Prechter on this show, and uh, you know Bob Prechter uh, quite well. I think you probably know him personally, and you have a lot of respect for Bob, but I think you, the two of you are completely at opposite ends on this view. Bob thinks that we, uh, that we will see the price of metals go down, but he does agree that gold would go down less than, than anything else. Uh, but but why is he wrong? Why does what is what? Why is there a disconnect? You guys are both very bright guys. You just see the world differently. Where is the where is yeah, the disconnect? What you're, what you're alluding to is the inflation deflation question. Are we going yeah. to get inflation or are we going to get deflation? Yeah. Here's the way I see it. Because the dollar is not tied to uh, gold as it was in the 1930s, it's going to be you know a different response this time around. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at the price of goods and services by both monies. You, if you look at the price of goods and services in terms of the dollar, you're going to see inflation. If you look at the price of goods and services in terms of gold, you're going to see deflation. Mm-hmm. Um, we would be in a tremendous deflationary environment now if the dollar was still tied to gold as it was in the 1930s. But because it's not, the Federal Reserve and central banks around the world can print all kinds of national currency to ultimately inflate the dollar, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, well, it's certainly what they're trying to do, and I know Ron Paul, who's been on this show, believes that we're heading in that direction, and he uh, he says the mechanism is in place now through the tax code or whatever to get money out into the masses. My my concern has been so far that all the bailouts have really gone to the rich, uh, and we haven't seen money really filtered into the poor. Always seen, and, and the middle class is always seen as rising commodity prices that have made it more difficult, not less uh, for the for the middle class, but I'd like to I'd like to ask you, James, uh, getting back to this notion of going back onto a gold standard, and I think Carmen sort of uh, was talking about this or alluding to it, and, or at least maybe I'm getting confused about some discussions she and I had. But the, at the state level, we see the move, and I, you know, China is proposing that we go towards some sort of a mixed uh, basket of currencies, with gold being a component of it. And you know, China clearly is getting fed up with owning dollars becoming worthless they're clearly fed up with all the qe's that are coming that are coming our way that are debasing the currency um, in theory james if we had all the gold that the u.s government claims we have it would seem that the united states would be in fairly good shape if we went back on a gold standard so i'd like to ask you a couple of things first of all do you think we have the gold that the u.s government says we have number one and number two if we do have that gold would we be in a rel- relatively good position uh, to go back on a gold standard? Yeah, you know, the answer to the first one, I really don't know. Uh, I'm in favor of Ron Paul's, you know, legislation to shed some light on the, on the truth to the matter. You know, is the gold really there or not? If it's there, let's have an audit. Uh, you know, why resist an audit uh, if the gold is really there? Um, I think it's important that an audit of the gold reserves, uh, you know, be done and be done soon. Mm-hmm. Um, with regard to the second point, you know, if the 
gold is still there, and it's not encumbered and not owed to any other country or been swapped or anything like that, then I think, yes, we could go back to you know some kind of a, a, a precious metal standard. And it would have to be done like we did after the, uh, the Civil War. It took 10 years, uh, uh, from 1869, when they actually passed the legislation, until 1879 before the, you know, the gold standard was returned. It just can't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a plan for it to minimize you know, the disruptions and, 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 and some of the difficulties that will arise. But yes, mm-hmm. it could be done. What's missing, Jay, is the political will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the political will isn't there. I think in part because people don't understand the things we're talking about here today. Uh, and the masses of people certainly don't. Uh, they're, they're content to leave things go the way they are. Although there's a restlessness and a growing unhappiness about things, they don't really understand it. Um, well, you know what you say, James, it takes time. And that leads me also to Ron Paul's uh, proposal, or what he would suggest that we do, is simply let gold compete with paper money. Let the markets determine what we use as a currency. What do you think of that idea? I think that is absolutely the the answer. You know, wealth is created by the market. It's not created by government. Uh, And the market is responsible for all the innovation, uh, producing goods and services at the most efficient uh, and least cost way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's the market that enables, you know, humankind to advance and, and raise our standards of living by you know new products and new goods and services and creating better ways of doing things and that's true for everything it should also be true for money uh... you know money should not be in the hands of government and under government control uh... it should be done it should be made available by the market and the best way to do that is you know just let currencies compete uh... one on the other don't give any currency any special advantage and don't you know put a disadvantage on you know sound money you know, right. by trying to tax it and uh, put sales tax and restrictions of all sorts, you know, that's what governments do to try to make the dollar look better. Uh, but in fact, you know, we all know that the dollar's got some serious problems. And to try to control it and probably to siphon off some revenue in the process is part of their. Uh, I mean, it, it really is. Uh, you know, if you really believe in free markets and freedom, I have to ask the question. And, and Carmen, feel free to charm, chime in any time here. The, if I want to have someone come over and do some construction on my house, I want to have a new bathroom constructed or something, why shouldn't I be able to barter that? Why shouldn't I be able to take, you know, um, whatever, uh, 20 ounces of silver and pay the guy, the construction guy, to come in and do, to do the work he's going to do? Why do I have to use something that was created fictitiously or not decided by the market but simply by fiat, by command, we have to use these pieces of paper, I guess, so that they can control what's going on, so they can watch us, so they can take a slice of it. Is that what it's about? James? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's what it is about, uh, uh, Jay. <clears throat> you know, where we've come over the past hundred years is sort of shocking. And, you know, I just did an article on this recently, and I looked at, you know, the, the wealth being created in the United States by the private sector and you know how much of that is being consumed by the by the public sector and the US is now more reliant on government M- more money is being uh, uh spent by government now as a percentage of the overall economy than was being spent by the government during world war 2 uh, you know and that to me is just unacceptable uh it explains you know why we're having a problem because governments don't create wealth they consume it you know they destroy it 
Um, you know, at best, they just redistribute it. But they don't create wealth. It's the private sector creates wealth. And that's what we have to recognize. That's what policymakers have to recognize, that, um, you know, the, the goose is being, uh, too many feathers are being pulled out of the goose. And that's ultimately what's hurting the country and the, the economy of the country. Well, it seems to me that policymakers have to recognize it. But policymakers, uh, there are very few, few of them that are educators, as Ron Paul is. Policymakers sort of put their finger in the air and see which way the public wants to go. And the public thinks they can have something for nothing, so they opt to stay with the system. Carmen, you had an observation, um, getting back to this issue of the gold bubble, and uh, you, you had talked about the small amount of uh, wealth yeah. or, uh, that are put in, in pension funds. I think it's a very small fraction. Exactly. Would you care to talk about that and, and ask James Turks? Yeah, view? basically, uh, you know, every, uh, so many people are talking about the gold bubble, which I know that we've already covered, but... Um, just recently, I, I read an article, um, and according to Shane McGuire, um, he claims that gold represents only 0.15% of the total allocation in global pension funds. Hmm. Um, yeah. Is that pretty much accurate in, uh, in your eyes, uh, James? Yeah, it is. I know Shane. I've you know, spoke to him about his study, and I, I believe that is an accurate number. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just goes to show, you know, even by institutional investors, uh, how little do they really understand you know, uh, the importance of owning gold as a, a form of liquidity in a portfolio? Um, and it's also an indication of how, how under-owned gold is. Uh, it's a clear evidence that there's no bubble uh, in, can, can in gold. Can you talk a little bit about the suppression? Now, speaking of the price of the gold, uh, we know, some of us know, including you, I'm sure, that the price of gold is being suppressed, but... Could you tell us a little bit about how, you know, the difference between, between physical gold and how paper gold basically impacts the price of, of physical gold? Yeah, you know, when you own physical gold, you own a tangible asset. When you own paper gold, uh, you don't actually own gold. You own exposure to the gold price. Uh, this is true regardless whether you own a futures contract, an option, uh, you know, various certificates. And, you know, that paper gold is ultimately dependent upon someone's promise. Now, it's very easy to create paper gold. Uh, It's just like creating paper dollars. You can create them out of thin air. You can't create physical gold out of thin air. But paper gold sort of, uh, you know, trades in relation to physical gold. They're two different markets. You you have the futures market on the COMEX in New York, and you've got the physical market where people actually buy, you know, coins and and physical uh, bars of, of gold. The two markets influence each other. The paper market is much, much larger than the physical market. Uh, you know, I started to describe the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the paper market being the body of the dog and the physical market just being the tail. But you know, in this particular instance, at the end of the day, the tail does wag the dog because you really want to own physical metal. Uh, you don't want to own, you know, paper. You know, it's the old saying, uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. There's a difference between a tangible asset and a financial asset. And if there wasn't for the paper gold to, uh, to, to uh, impact the price, today's price of physical gold, could you tell us, do you think um, you would have an idea as to where the gold would be today in terms of U.S. dollars? Well, you know, it's really hard to you know, predict and forecast. But, you know, back in 2003, um, when uh, I was interviewed in Barron's, I made my long-term forecast and said that when this financial 
cycle and bust that we were in was finished sometime between 2013 to 2015, that gold would be $8,000 an ounce. And that's where, you know, I think we're still headed. You know, we've gone from 350 to 1570 today as we speak. And I think we're still headed to $8,000 an ounce before this is over. Mm. Now, that may sound crazy, but, you know, we went from $35 to 800 in the 1970s. And when I gave that forecast in Barron's, gold was 350 and it took $10 in 2003 to purchase what $1 purchased in 1971 because of inflation over the intervening years. So I was basically saying on an inflation-adjusted basis, you know, if we can go from 35 to 800 in the 70s on an inflation-adjusted basis, we can go from 350 to uh, 8,000 this time around and have nothing different than history repeating, no. repeating in inflated dollars that didn't have the same purchasing powers they did back in the 70s. Sure, no doubt about it. James, would you hold to that same time frame then, 2013, 2015? We're getting close. Yeah, we are getting close. And, you know, in fact, uh, two things, Jay. I think it's probably going to happen before then, and I think the price of gold is going to go much higher simply because of, you know, what I see happening in, in Washington, the way the central bank is reacting and refusing to get off of this path that we're on. Mm-hmm. It's also an indication of, you know, government spending because it's this government spending that ultimately will cause the currency to hyperinflate. Mm-hmm. And meaning the gold price is going to go higher than eight thousand and an ounce, I believe. Yeah. Well I know someone else who would agree with that is James uh I'm sorry, uh, is Chen Lin, who my partner who was on with me in the first part of the show, and he observed how it's sort of funny that the gold price gets taken down in the early days of, of trading. I guess it's at the, in the afternoon in London, basically. And uh, was it uh, one of the GATA guys that did a study and showed that uh, in the vast majority of times, if you had if you had bought gold, uh, um, if you bought gold, I guess if you'd bought it uh, in the AM fix and sold it in the, uh, in the PM fix, you would have lost huge amounts of money even as the price of gold was going up over the years. So that would strongly suggest what Carmen was suggesting about manipulation of the gold price. But um, what, you, you know, they can, they can cap it and manipul- manipulate it and influence for a time. But ultimately, you know, markets are bigger than governments. And what they're really just doing is ultimately destroying the dollar. So even if we do go to $8,000 at some point in time in the future, and whatever that translates into a price of gold, you'll still be able to go into a, fem, uh, into a petrol station with the two silver dollars and have that silver content fill up the family car with, uh, with gasoline. Yeah, and Chen uh, was also uh, talking today a little bit about, uh, well, he was suggesting that we're going to see, uh, we're going to see gold in, uh, in, five, in five digits in uh, you know, I mean, he's very well plugged into China. His family's in Beijing, and he sees how the Chinese are buying gold. Uh, they're really getting it. They understand uh, what we're talking about here much better than most Americans do. James, I'd like to uh, just, we have a few more minutes left, and then I know you're going to get on to, to your, busy, your busy schedule. But we, uh, one of the things you talked about years ago, and this is going back to gold money, was the possibility of having an ability to, to draw value out of your gold or silver holdings with a credit card. Is that something that's possible in the future? Yeah, with the debit card. Debit uh, card. Yeah, it, it is possible. You know, technologically, there's no hurdle. Uh, it just hasn't been, uh, you know, economically you know, feasible. You know, even though we have, you know, $2 billion of assets that we're safeguarding for our customers, we're just not big enough to make that economically feasible. But what we have done is so you can use your iPhone, um, to access your gold money uh, holding and click 
you know, gold or silver or platinum or palladium from your holding to someone else's holding just by using an iPhone. Interesting. But, you know, the interesting thing with uh, the technology today, Jay, is that it's going to make gold circulate as currency once again. Uh, but it'll be a digital coin, not an actual physical coin mm-hmm. uh, circulating, you know, uh, globally th- uh, through the internet. And if that happens, you don't even need paper. Okay, so that, but but ultimately, if you want to, you've got to be able to get that physical that physical gold or silver, right? Absolutely, and that's one of the keys of gold money. That uh, you know, all of the gold and silver and platinum and palladium are there. It's audited every other month. Uh, it's insured. It's in secure vaults that you choose uh, in locations, uh, uh, London, Zurich, or, or Hong Kong. Um, and uh, you can redeem it. You can redeem it in, in different size bars anytime you want. Yeah, London, Zurich, and Hong Kong. And I believe you're, uh, you do also have computers that are somewhere else that keep track of, of how much um, an individual might own. Yeah, the, uh, we're based in the uh, uh, British Channel Islands, uh, it, it, right in the middle of the English Channel, uh, in the island of Jersey, which is a sovereign independent country uh, that relies on traditional Anglo-Saxon common law. That's where all the computers are kept. But we do backups in other locations uh, that uh, we store all of the data on an encrypted basis. So uh, you'll see from the audits that we uh, make available to our customers that we maintain the same security and control standards uh, that some of the world's largest financial institutions uh, use. Mm-hmm. Um, what, tell people how they can buy or how they, they can just go to gold money and I guess open up what you don't call them accounts, you call them holdings there, I believe. Yeah, it's a holding because it's gold and silver that you own. You hold it. Uh, it's, uh, and that's why we use the term uh, a holding. Uh, go to goldmoney.com, open up a holding, um, and if you want to use it, you just wire uh, money to gold money and purchase uh, gold or silver once that money is received uh, by us. All of this is done through your holding online 24-7. Yeah, and I you... can tell you from personal experience, uh, their customer service is excellent. Oh, thank yeah. you, Carmen. Yeah. That is, uh, that's very, very important. And, of course, I've known James for many years. That's, it gives me an advantage over people that may not know him. You know, there's a lot of hucksters in the, in the, uh, in the business. Uh, there, has been, there have been over the years. So knowing uh, that you've got somebody who's trustworthy. But, you know, honestly, it's very difficult these days because would you say the government is trustworthy and they are the, supposed to be safeguarding our, our safety and everything. So, But uh, James Turk is, is a man of, um, you know, ethical, the highest ethical standards I've known him for many, many years, and I don't just say that because we're both from the Buckeye State, uh, James from Ohio as well, but I've, I've known him and his family for a number of years, and, uh, you know, he, uh, he has a strong set of morals, which is, I think that comes with strong money, and I, I think that uh, what we've been talking about today, all of this uh, sort of confiscation, wealth, lack of respect for private property, theft, in essence, legalized theft, governments can do it because they have the guns, and they just decide to do it, and uh, unless we start to wake up, um, we're going to continue to see our liberties uh, erode away. James, I want to ask you just one more thing here. You also have platinum and palladium, I believe. You yeah, can that's buy right. as well. Yeah. But and and how would the value of silver compare to the value of gold at gold money at this point in time? Um, we have uh, almost as much silver now as as we do gold, platinum, and, and palladium. Silver has become very very popular as people start to understand how undervalued it was. 
But, you know, you just raised one point, you know, Jay, that I'd like to sort of mention and go back to, you know, talking about the government has the guns. Yeah. What they do is they can't create bullets out of thin air. So they have this unholy alliance with the banks to create money out of thin air, which the governments then borrow to buy bullets and guns. And it's this basic principle that has to be stopped. This is what has to be broken, and this is where gold comes in or silver comes in. Mm -hmm. Governments can't create money. They can't create sound money. They can't create gold and silver out of thin air. And that's the discipline that we, the people, uh, can have on government. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's essential that you know this link to sound money be reestablished for individual freedoms to once again flourish in this country. We're going to uh, take a couple of extra minutes here. I wanted to ask you, this is just a thought that came to me right this moment, but, you know, they're, they're doing this with animals now. They have these little chips they put in animals. They can have all the information in the animal. You can, you, can, you know, if your dog gets lost, you can find them. Uh, you, you can keep all kinds of information, and I've, I've seen there's some experimentation with people and planting a chip in the wrists of people. Is it possible that government might use this technology to, uh, to sort of shortcut what you're doing and what freedom-loving people would do. That is, if they can have your bank account in your wrist, in your chi you know, a chip embedded in you, and they can follow you around and know what you're doing, they can also make sure you're not spending your money in the wrong way, and they can make sure they're getting their bite of taxes that they think they, they have a right to. Do you see that as, as, as a threat? That's sort of, maybe that's futuristic stuff, but is well, that... Well, remember, there are over 100 different countries around the world um, and, you know, they, they, they run the gamut from those that are free to those that are unfree. And if you don't like the one where it's unfree, move to the ones that are free. There will always be free countries in the world. It's just a question of making sure you're located in those free countries. Well, and you, uh, I know that you are in a couple of different countries. You uh, still have a home in the U.S., but you also have one in Spain. Uh, what about Spain? Um, they're having a lot of difficulties right now. Italy, what's, what's worse? And, and we haven't even gotten to this contagion thing today and what's going on in Europe. I mean, woke up this morning, and the, and the Italian bank stocks were down 5 6%, 9%, everything. They were getting killed. Then all of a sudden, the markets came back. And there's talk, though, today about how Italy was worse off than Spain. I thought Spain was supposed to be more of a basket case than Italy. Italy's the third largest country, uh, third largest economy in Europe. Do you think... Um, I, I'm assuming you believe the euro has got a limited life uh, on it right now? Yeah, it's a question of which currency is going to collapse first, the dollar, the euro, the British pound, the Japanese yen. I mean, it's hard to choose which one is worse than the other because they're all so bad. Yeah. Um, and what happens is there's this pool of hot money that's looking for a safe home. And you know, it, sometimes it'll slosh over to Europe when the euro it looks safe. And right now it's sort of sloshing back to the dollar when the dollar looks safe. But... Today is important because we made a new record high in gold. A lot of this hot money is ending up in the only safe haven, which, of course, is you know, gold and silver. Yeah, and you're seeing that gold just taking off like a rocket today when all the rest of this is going on. It's no longer a dollar, dollar gold story anymore. And uh, one more thing here. We, Jeff Dice, Ron Paul's chief of staff, is a frequent guest on this show, was here. And he talked about the enormous amount of money that the U.S., uh, is pumping into Europe and did, you know, during the bailouts and the TARP programs, and uh, uh, a couple of trillion dollars. I think Jeff said in total they figured the, the work they've done there in the House suggests something like $5 trillion was pumped into Europe. Do you think there might have been a coordinated effort earlier today to try to turn things around with the, perhaps even the Federal Reserve involved with uh, the European banks? 
Yeah, there's no doubt that the central banks work uh, in concert with one another. You know, because they recognize they're all on the the same side of the the tracks, and it's the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. It's not the people's side of the tracks. You know, they're all working for their own vested interests to maintain their position of power. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, if the system were to go back to a sound money system, all of these central bankers uh, and everybody who's benefiting from that that corrupt system, uh, they would lose all of their power and privileges. So they're going to try to make certain that. Uh, uh, you know, they continue to keep the system going. Yeah, and I know Rick Santelli on CNBC today marveled at the rapid turnaround from minus 6 to plus 2 or 3% in the Italian stocks in the market. And our, our own market, uh, just in a matter of a half an hour or so, there's just a, an abrupt turnaround. Seems a little bit strange. Carmen, anything else you'd like to ask? Yes, James. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit, uh, get your view on China, James, because um, I remember Jim Rogers saying that if you wanted to do well in 1807, you would uh, move to London. If you wanted to do well in 1907, you'd move to uh, New York. But if you want to do well in 2007, you move to Asia. Can you tell us your view a little bit about the Asian markets and especially the yuan, uh, their currency? Yeah. You know, I lived in Asia for most of the 1970s and uh, traveled back there from time to time and followed you know, closely what's going on there. And I really do believe that uh, Asia will continue to emerge as an uh, important uh, uh, factor, if not the dominant factor, in, in the um, uh, world economy. I mean, China is already the second largest economy in the world, uh, if you accept the statistics that they put out. Um, what China needs to do is basically just one thing. Uh, it, it is a capitalist country with a communist government. Uh, what they need to make certain is that the rule of law is in place, protecting property rights. That's not quite there, but that's the uh, uh, the backbone that they need to continue uh, the path that they're on. I think eventually they're going to move there, and they've gotten rid of a lot of the controls and regulations. And you know, people have told me that it's easier to start a business in China today than it is in the United States. Mm because of the uh, absence of all of the rules and regulations, and I do believe that. Uh, so it is a capitalist country, and Chinese have capitalism in their blood. Yeah. Uh, so you know, as long as the rule of law is there, I think they're going to continue to grow and prosper. With regard to the yuan, I think the Chinese government is just playing the system you know, for, for what it's worth. They recognize it's a flawed system, and they're going to take advantage of it until the system finally collapses. But they're not going to be the principal mm -hmm. cause for the collapse. Yeah, Do you and foresee yet, the yuan being the first, uh, the next world reserve currency, maybe backed by gold? No, I, I really don't. I really think we're going to go back to gold as a currency, and uh -huh. we won't even really need it as a reserve. Remember, we've only had a reserve currency because it was paper backed by gold. Gold was the reserve. If we make gold circulating once again as currency digitally, you don't need to think of paper. You don't need to think of a reserve. You know, gold itself is the currency. Well, that's that's very, very interesting. And, of course, uh, James, you have a patent for uh, digital gold. Um, congratulations on that. It looks like it's working out very, very well. I can remember many years ago and being invited by you to make a small investment in gold money, and much to my regret, I didn't. But uh, we're doing well with gold, and anybody that's listening to this show on a regular basis is getting a lot of a lot of great ideas, uh, and I want to thank James for being with me today, and Carmen as well. Um, 
both of you for coming on the show. Um, we're going to hopefully have both of you back sometime soon. In fact, Carmen, I'd like to ask you to stick around with me a few okay. more minutes, if you would, please, because our next guest uh, is not available, uh, apparently. So. Sure, absolutely. Okay. And, James, it was such an honor. Thank you so much. I, I really have a lot of respect for you, and uh, uh, I've talked to my family, my friends. Everybody knows about you. And uh, just one quick thing before I let you go um, is my sister were asking me, why do you believe, you know, in gold money so much? And I said, well, James Turk has actually come um, with a lot of credit from GATA, and I, I've been subscribed to GATA. I've been reading their newsletters, and they ha have all kinds of good information. That's, that's where I found out about you. Yeah. Thank you very much for your kind words, Carmen. And, and, you know, GATA has really been an important force in the gold market for uh, I guess they've been in existence now like 12 years. Yeah, um, that's, that's correct. They've, yeah. they've really done a lot to, to help people understand what's really happening to the monetary system. And everything at gata.org, all of that material is all available for free. People just yeah. have to get in there and dig in and read about it and you know, help to uh, educate themselves about what's truly happening to money and currency. Absolutely. Uh, and, of course, a lot of your work is, is posted there and a lot of other very brilliant people. And I should also say courageous people because in the early days, GATA was widely ridiculed, still is by some people, actually, but, uh, you know, sometimes you know you're doing something right when you have people that don't like what you're saying. So uh, hitting a raw nerve, no doubt. Well, thanks to both of you. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back. Carmen will stay with me, and we'll have some more thoughts uh, at, after the break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parker Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. 
Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top 10 gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. .sandgold.ca Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, our second company guest today uh, was supposed to be here, was not able to make it as well, so we've gone zero for two today. Our batting average isn't that good. I uh, don't know why. This has never happened before. Uh, with uh, with company guests, they're usually always more than willing to tell their story. They uh, they want to, people to know about uh, what they're doing. And this particular company, Greg Romain, uh, heads up. It's called Go West Gold, and they do have 1.2 million ounces of gold in the ground. Uh, it's a story that I think is very, very well worth hearing, and I'm going to have Greg on sometime in the future to talk about it. I, I think it's a very undervalued stock at 26 cents, market cap of around uh, $25 million with 1.2 million ounces of gold in the ground in uh, in Canada. So uh, we'll we'll hear from Greg, I'm sure, in um, in an upcoming show in the not-too-distant future. But Carmen was kind enough to stay back uh, with me here. Again, and Carmen, I don't know if there's any thoughts you'd like to share uh, some of the things that James Turk said or, or anything you'd like to just expand on, perhaps. Yeah, yes, Jay. Um, I thought that it probably would be a good idea to expand a little bit on the, on the inflation uh, uh, subject, the subject of the inflation, simply because that's the, the one thing that I, I think uh, I'm very concerned with. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I don't. I didn't think. I don't think people understand enough the degree of of severity of of what's about to happen. And I. It's not like I'm trying to instill any type of uh, of um, warnings here or or threat. Or I'm not. I'm not in that position. But it's just the reality is going to set us in. Set in. And uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why. In, uh, 
preserving your assets, converting your assets to gold and silver and, and some other tangible assets, it would be a good idea. But the way that I see things happening is already, we already have high unemployment. We already have a government that is unfriendly to the small and medium-sized uh, businesses. Now, I am concerned with the fact that we have such an imbalance on the, the trading between China and us, where they're sending us their goods and, and services, we're sending them all these IOUs. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, the Chinese are starting to kind of get an idea as to the value how worthless these IOUs are. Yep. And I'm wondering, and you tell me, because I'm really curious to, 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 uh, to, to know what you, uh, what you think about, do you think there's um, in the very near future or sometimes in the future a time when China will say, you know what, we've had enough of these IOUs, uh, we're going to stop sending you goods and services uh, until you actually pay us with something more valuable than, than promises. Yeah, I, I think so, Carmen. I think they're, in fact, they're saying that. Uh, they're saying it literally, and they're saying it by their actions, their market actions. And, uh, you know, we were talking about it with James Turk. He talked about how they're liberalizing the laws uh, for owning uh, gold. Uh, that encourages people to take those IOUs and exchange them for something that's real. I think China is also speaking loud and clearly when they go around to countries around the world and buy uh, gold mines and copper mines and, and energy supplies and you know oil and gas uh, deposits and so forth. So I think I think the handwriting is on the wall. At the same time, they don't want to jerk the rug out from underneath. Uh, they don't want to see the dollar go to zero. So I think they're trying to to, to manipulate. I think the talk about them having a uh, a basket of currencies that uh, that uh, I think that James said no. I, 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 mean, I think James thinks we're going to go to gold ultimately, and and he may very well be right. He, in answer to your question, suggested we're not going to to go to a gold back yuan, but basically he thinks we'll go right to gold. But in the interim, though, I wouldn't be surprised if the dollar continues to come under pressure and the United States government uh, is looking more and more shaky. In fact, next week we're going to have a guest on this show, Professor Hummel, uh, who is saying he thinks the U.S. will default on its treasuries, not through inflation necessarily, but it just won't pay some of them back. And if there's that sort of threat coming, then I think, you know, they're, they're, before they go to gold right away, I wouldn't be surprised to see an interim step where there would be a basket of currencies. In fact, uh, it was uh, our Treasury Secretary, uh, Geithner, who recently suggested that maybe we're, we have to pay some attention to what the Chinese are doing. So th that's my thought. I'd, I'd like to ask Roger. Uh, Roger is with us. Welcome, Roger. Good to be here, Jay. I, I agree with the uh, summary statement that you made to answer Carmen's question. Uh, we, we've got a lot of information on China as well. Uh, they have their hands full with a host of problems. They've got terrific food shortages. They bought a million six hundred thousand tons of corn in the last two weeks, mm -hmm. and I've discovered that that's only about twenty percent of what they really need. Mm -hmm. So grain is going to be under severe pressure with rising prices. And like Carmen was saying, I'm in the camp with where there's inflation. Mm -hmm. If you look at inflation in China right now, uh, they have posted numbers on Hong Kong real estate inflation of thirty-five percent, mm -hmm. and that's that's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. And also in regions of the country, not the total country, uh, they're looking at, at prices, inflation prices of 4 to 5% per month. And uh, if that continues for 12 months, 
you go beyond the 50% and you're looking at hyperinflation, which is uh, where John Williams says hyperinflation will yeah. begin. And you're talking about China, Roger. Yes. And okay, they, that's, they, that's they've very got interesting. Drought, they've got drought. They've got employment problems. They have social problems. Uh, they're badly trying to keep the inflation under control. They've raised interest rates three, four, or five times in the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Walmart, who's probably one of their biggest customers, uh, their sales are beginning to wane. Yes, and Walmart has not done well, as uh, Howard Davidowitz has talked to us on this show. In fact, the only stores that are doing really well are the top end, the you know, really luxury stores, and the really, really bottom ones, like the dollar stores. And uh, this is because of this hollowing out of the middle class. But I couldn't help but thinking, Roger, you know, you're talking about, about food prices going up and China going out and buying corn, which puts pressure on food prices for Americans. This is just a, another way, another example of how the middle class in America is being hollowed out. Because why? Well, we sent those IOUs over there, and they take those IOUs and bid up the price of corn. Our middle class is having a harder and harder time making ends meet. They have to pay more for their corn, more for their food now. And it's, it's, uh, it, it is all really a repercussion of what Carmen was talking about, living beyond our means, giving them pieces of paper in exchange for real things that they send us and now, uh, it's coming home to roost, I think. Uh, Roger, you know, today we saw this huge turnaround in the markets. We saw, uh, you know, the Italian bank stocks were down big. The equity market in the U.S. was down big. Uh, it looked like a bloodbath on Wall Street. And then all of a sudden things turned around. Rick Santelli said there was some Superman buyer that came into the markets uh, this morning before the U.S. markets opened. Do you have any insight uh, on what I might don't have know, but it could have been the plunge protection team buying yeah. S&Ps out of Bermuda, which is what they do. Mm-hmm. But there were two other key pieces of news today, Jay. One was the Federal Reserve did release their notes today mm-hmm. uh, from the last meeting, and I don't know whether the market was expecting something they didn't get or, in fact, in fact it was just flat to neutral. It was blah. Mm-hmm. So that could have had a partial effect. But I think that the bigger effect for all the news today was the fact that the president, Mitch McConnell, and Boehner uh, really got into a screaming match over the debt ceiling in the White House. Mm. It degenerated into name-calling. Everybody walked out of the meeting, and then they all made a bunch of threats like little kids, like saying that uh, Social Security wasn't going to get paid August 3rd, and, and, and there was all kinds of dire things that were going to happen. And immediately when those statements came out, I wondered why I saw gold start to go, and I frantically checked around, and it came out on drudge. They're usually the fastest with the news, yeah. and that's what did it. Gold was up $33 today. Yeah, I noticed that, and as you were saying that, I was going to ask you, what time did that news come out? So there was a complete breakdown, I guess, in this budget discussion issue, right? Yes. Uh, if you go to the drudge news today, you're going to see about eight or nine major headlines, all really wild, crazy stuff. Yeah. having to do with this discussion. Um, the president wants a one big final uh, deficit cut, but he wants to spread it over 10 years, which is, in my view, it's meaningless. Yeah. If they don't do something faster and something of, um, of importance very quickly, uh, they're going to go out of control. Well, it's just a matter of time, isn't it, Roger? I mean, what can they do? Let's just look at the alternatives. If the Republicans don't want to raise taxes, and I'm with them on that, 
we need to cut government back. Carmen, I'm sure, would agree with that. Oh, absolutely. We definitely need limited government. Limited government. But, you know, to get from point A to point B is very, very difficult. The amount of gut-wrenching change, there would be revolutions in the street if you cut, if you took the, the milk away from the babies, what happens? Babies scream. What happens? Like what's happening in Greece on a small, on a small scale. Uh, we've had it in Wisconsin. You know, the, the municipal workers, are, Meredith Whitney today on Bloomberg talking about how the municipal governments are in as bad a shape as ever. They're worse, actually, because the TARP money is going away now. Maybe, maybe it's going to come back. But if it does come back, that raises another set of questions, and we're off to this hyperinflation thing. Roger, you're talking about the Chinese having uh, that kind of inflation, and I just have to, you know, th- these, are just, these are just incredibly difficult times. I read Brian Rich, uh, an analyst who works for Martin Weiss, <clears throat> and Brian was talking about how the Chinese really are scared to death of inflation. Chen Lin talks to us here on this show about the Chinese inflation fear. And the government knows it knows it's got to stop inflation over there, or the people are going to, you know, they're going to revolt. On the other hand, it knows if it it's going to have a hard time shutting down inflation without driving the economy into the dirt. In which case, the natives are going to become restless, and there's going to be a revolution. I mean, it it's seems a, it's to a me, very fine line. They're it, trying to finesse it, and it's extremely difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult, and this is why we need free market economics. The whole notion. Carmen, you came from uh, Romania, where the sort of notion that you know a government should know how many pairs of shoes should be manufactured in a given year, how many, how many pairs of underwear, how many shirts, how many cars, how much of this, how much of that. The free market has millions of different inputs into those decision making on a, on, a, on, a, on a regular basis. That's why it's efficient, as James Turk talked about. The most efficient way to allocate scarce resources is to have the collective wisdom of thousands and millions of people and businesses entering into the marketplace bidding on prices. This is why I, I think, you know, I think, I, I agree with you, Carmen, and James also, that, that ultimately the, the power is shifting to Asia in part because we forfeited it in the West by living beyond our means and living extravagantly. But also I think, um, I do think there's going to be some gut-wrenching problems in China as well that they're going to just cause these markets. And maybe that makes the case for James Turk's view that we're going to go ultimately to a, uh, to a gold-backed system. that There won't be trust in the yuan either. That's, that's very possible. Well, you know, it's very I'm, interesting, though, um, um, Jay, because uh, simply uh, just reading, for instance, uh, um, the latest book, uh, Crash Proof of uh, Peter Schiff, Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a very interesting uh, a concept of what's going to happen uh, with China. And while right now Chinese people are actually still suffering, they're suffering because their, their currency is being suppressed. So the yuan is not allowed to free float uh, uh, on the market. Now, what happens is little by little that yuan from what I understand in reading that book, it's going to allow to to go up in value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's going to happen is it's going to increase the standard of living of the, of the Chinese, while at the same time it's going to impoverish Americans. Yeah. So it's going to happen, but probably in a gradual way. Yeah, now, yeah. the inflation is also in the real estate, and you and I, we had that conversation before. I don't think we're going to see the same mess that we've seen here in the United States simply because Chinese people had to put a down payment when they bought homes yeah. and property. Yeah. 50% or more 
or a lot of them actually had saved because Chinese are pretty much famous for knowing how to how to uh, produce and save. Yeah. And this is actually the whole concept of Austrian economics: save, right. invest in capital, Absolutely. be productive, and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Absolutely. But that's basically what um, I don't think it's going to be a, a sudden transition. But um, I see, a, a, you know, I, it, Peter Schiff makes a, a good point um, in reading that book. I thought this is fascinating how how things are turning. We're seeing a decline of the West and and uh, definitely a rising of the East. Okay, unfortunately, we are out of time. Carmen, thank you very much. Roger, thank you very much uh, for coming on and sharing your, your views on the market. Um, unfortunately, we are out of time. i got to tell you, uh, next week we've got uh, Lawrence Ralston. He'll come with some good stock ideas. And also, as I said, Professor Hummel is going to talk about why he believes the U.S. will default on its treasuries. No, not an inflationary default. He may also believe that, but he thinks there will come a day when the U.S. government won't even make good on the nominal value of its treasuries. We're going to get his views on that next week. I want to thank my staff, uh, my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. That's all for now. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Roger and Jay. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real.